All right. How many of you remember the movie Pretty Woman? All right. It's not the most ideal, godly message in the entire world. But in that movie, there was a song. It was called The King of Wishful Thinking. Anybody remember it? Yeah, it was an awesome song. Didn't fit the movie at all. But it was an uh, incredibly popular song. And I just want to read a couple of the lyrics to you. Here's what the writers, Go West, said in their course. It's a guy trying to get over a breakup. He says, I'll get over you. I know I will. I'll pretend my ship's not sinking. Feel free to sing along if you want to, right? He said, I'll tell myself I'm over you because I'm the king of wishful thinking. I'll pretend my ship's not sinking and I'll tell myself I'm over you because I'm the king of wishful thinking. I will never, never shed a tear for you. I'll get over you. I know I will because I'm the king of wishful thinking, right? Man, wishful thinking is a powerful thing, is it not? Trying to, I mean, we have a, we have a psychological term for it. We call denial, right? Denial. There's a lot of wishful thinking in our churches. Always has been, probably always will. There's a lot of wishful thinking in Christians' lives. And that's the idea that there are these things I want to do, right? Let's just talk about it from a human perspective, right? Beginning of the year, how many of you online, how many of you here made a New Year's Eve or a New Year's resolution? Okay. How many of you, how many of you, so difficult, so difficult. You remember that Cody said, you guys are the true spiritual powers in this church, right? You know, lying in the middle of service is not, how many of you mentally and emotionally thought it's the first of the year, it's a chance to start over, it's a chance to get better. How many of you thought that? All right. Thank you. Whew. I feel like, I feel like we should just pray. We accomplished something, right? <clears throat> and we do that a lot, right? We do that. We do that. I, I, you know, I've had a job for a long time and a lot of people hate Mondays. And yet Monday's an opportunity that a lot of people look on Sunday and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do better this week, right? I'm going to be more productive this week. I'm going to focus this week. You get something that happens in your life and you're like, okay, man, I just, you know, you're walking along and all of a sudden you accidentally pull a muscle, right? That you didn't even know existed. The next thing you know, you can't breathe and you're like, crap, I'm so out of shape. I got to fix this, right? And we tell ourselves that I'll get over you. I know I will because I'm the king of wishful thinking, right? We use the idea of wishful thinking a lot. And we use it in churches, right? I'm going to read my Bible better, right? I'm going to pray more. I need to start coming to church more often. I'm going to get out there and serve in children's ministry. I'm going to, you know what? I'll get over you. I know I will. Because I'm the king of wishful thinking. We do that a lot. There's a lot of wishful thinking that happens in our lives as Christian people. Things that we want to overcome. Things that we want to get better. And my guess is, between the number of people that are in this room and the number of people that are watching online, there's a lot of people that are struggling with the exact same struggle they struggled with 10 years ago. And they're frustrated. And they're and they're uncertain as to why that continues to be a struggle or a problem. And here's why. I'll get over you. I know I will because I'm the king of wishful thinking. I want to spend the next two weeks trying to get us over that. I want to, I want to spend a couple weeks trying to get us in our minds more geared to not being kings and queens of wishful thinking, but being people who actually do. 
There's a TikTok video out. And yes, I still watch TikTok. Thank you, pandemic, right? And on the, on the TikTok video, there's, a, there's like a basketball scene going on and there's a voiceover. And, and basically the voiceover says, listen, let's, let's face it. Nobody's going to believe what you can do until you actually do it. You can tell people all the things you're going to do, but until you actually do it, nobody's going to believe you, right? I mean, you've raised kids. How many of you told your kids stuff and they said, I promise. And you're like, I'll believe it when I, right? You see, we all understand the power of wishful thinking, And we all understand that that power of wishful thinking at times undermines people's confidence in us because I'll get over you. I know I will because I'm the king of wishful thinking. I want to talk about that over the next couple of weeks because what I want more than anything for us in 2022 is I want us to be more effective at seeing lost people come to faith in Jesus. Amen, church? I want us to become more... Because listen... You know, we believe certain things here and we believe entirely upon the eternity of a soul. Yes or no? We believe entirely upon the idea that death isn't the end for anybody. That everybody spends an eternity somewhere. And we also believe that the direction of eternity isn't based on good works. It isn't based on church affiliation. It isn't based on money. It's certainly not based on talent and good looks. Our eternity is determined by our relationship with who? With Jesus. I want us to be more effective with that. Because the numbers and the stories suggest that we're losing the fight. We're losing the fight with children. If you don't believe me, just go back there and spend a couple weekends listening to some of the stories our children are saying about how they feel about the life they have at 10 years of age. We're losing the fight with teens. You want to be overwhelmed by what people are dealing with, spend a month out there serving in the forge and listening to what teens are actually dealing with. If you don't believe me, talk to a 40-year-old who's divorced, alone, the mother of three kids and wondering who in the world would ever want to be with her. Talk to a 60-year-old who's already worked for 30 years and is retired and has no idea what he is or who he is or who she is or what she's supposed to do because we're losing the fight. Hope is dwindling every single day across the globe. Every, every, every piece of literature you can find about it will tell you alcohol addiction's up, drug use is up, suicide is up, divorce is up. And with our isolation from individuals increasing again because of the pandemic, people are finding out that staying at home and being disconnected from work and from school and from other people is having a detrimental effect on people's psychology. We've got to do better. And whether you know this or not, whether you know this watching online or not, you are God's only hope in this world. This is it. This is the, this is the army that God has marshaled together to fight in this season and to win. This. And I can't see you online, but I know exactly what you look like. This is our army. Just take a gander at the trained soldiers we have here. People who are in denial of their struggles and their best moments in their life as a Christian are 10 years ago. 
because we become the king and queen of wishful thinking. I'll get over this. I know I will. I'll do better because I know I will. I think it's time for us, I think it's time for me to recognize that getting better isn't a mantra. Getting better is actually doing something to get better. And the Bible's pretty, pretty clear about these kind of things. So if you get your Bible, start at John 15. If you're online, John 15, get your phone, bring up John 15. I know that most of you have an app. How many of you don't have a Bible app on your phone? Don't have. All right, you need to stop out at, out at our guest services area and you need to let somebody download a Bible on your phone, right? Because most how many of you brought a hard copy Bible with you tonight? Okay, less than, well, maybe 10 of you, right? So the reality is, and you're gonna, we're gonna get into this, right? This thing, this Bible, this book, man, this becomes paramount. But in John 15, we're gonna break, we're gonna break this text down. I've got, 28 minutes to get this done, all right? And this text breaks down into four formulas, four really simple formulas for us to see. And we're gonna go through these formulas. Here's the first formula. And I wrote them out because I'm terrible at everything else. Here's the first formula. You can read it with me, everybody online. Read it with me. Without fruit equals cut off. With fruit equals prune. Let's read the text, John 15, one through three. Right? Here's what it says. I'm the vine, the true vine, and my father's the gardener. So if he's the true vine, that means there's fake vines. That means there's other things out there that you can connect to. Right? But I'm the true vine. My God, my father's the gardener. And listen to this. The gardener, God, cuts off every branch in me that bears what? No fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he what? He prunes. There's your formula. It's pretty simple, right? Without fruit, God cuts the branch off from the vine. The vine is who? Everybody say Jesus, right? Without fruit, listen to the formula, without fruit, God cuts off the branch from whom? You can keep coming to church. You can keep doing your Bible reading. But if you're not producing any fruit, you're what? just cut off. If you produce fruit, you don't get an applause. You don't get a bonus check. You don't get a ceremony or a trophy. You get what? Everybody, anybody here ever prune a rose bush, right? You take a life thing that just had a beautiful season of harvest and you peel it back and make it look what? You make it look dead, right? You've ever had a great season spiritually. And then all of a sudden the bottom drops out and you're like, what happened? I thought I was doing great, right? Because we don't know the formula. With fruit, you get what? Pruned. Not a powerful reception that says, woohoo, right? You get the shears. You get cut back from harvest to winter. It's ugly, it's dry, it's cold, it's bitter, it's lonely. Those are seasons that every Christian goes through. You understand the formula? He gives us a second formula, right? Let's read it. Here's the second formula we'll read in the verses. Abide in me equals fruit, which equals pruning, which equals more fruit. So again. If you abide, that Greek word abide means to stay, right? 
It's to stay. It's not to come and go. It's to stay. He said, if you stay in me, if you stay in Jesus, you'll bear fruit, which means God will prune you, which means he gets more what? Everybody got the formula? He says this, but if you don't abide in me, if you don't stay in Jesus, there is no fruit and you get what? Cut off. Look at verse four of John 15. He says, reign in me and I'm going to remain in you. Right? That's a promise. Right? And God keeps his what? He keeps his promises. Above all things, God keeps his promises. He says, if you're going to stay in me, I'm going to stay in you. Right? He says, no branch. You. Online. You. Here. You. Me. No branch can bear fruit by what? Itself. Disconnected from Jesus, no fruit. He says, the branch must remain in the vine, must remain remain connected to Jesus. Listen to this. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. If a man or a woman remains in me, I in him, they, he or she will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that gets thrown away, it withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. So we live in a world where prior to the pandemic, roughly 2,200 to 2,400 people would show up on this campus every weekend. That was prior to the pandemic. Three weeks ago, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, We went from 2,400 prior to the pandemic to 1,122 people on this campus. Less than half. We're averaging about 60% of our numbers before COVID of people on this campus. And you say, well, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Yes, you can. But you can't be a Christian if you're not connected to who? If you're not connected to Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. God's divine dresser. Our relationship to God is dependent upon who? Jesus. Now you can say, yeah, you don't have to be, listen, you don't have to come to a building and you don't have to participate in the service to be a Christian. Correct. But you can't be a Christian. And you can't have produce any fruit if you don't have a connection to who? And let's be honest. The longer you stay at home, the greater chance is you'll lose sight of Jesus. You don't have to have a degree for that. It's like if you try to stay married and you're gone five days a week, every week. It's hard to stay in a relationship where you're not there to be emotionally invested. It's hard to stay married when you're gone and not able to be there for the good times and the bad times. We understand how it works. Listen, we understand how it works in a relationship. I talked to a mom yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Um, I talked to a mom yesterday. I don't know if it was yesterday. I'm so lost, right? Yes, I talked to a mom yesterday. When we were talking about our kids leaving home, right? Talking about our kids turning 18 and she said, I don't have any idea what they're doing. And she said it in the tone of, isn't that really weird? Like we raise these kids and we know everything about them and then they turn 18 and they disappear and you're like, I wonder what they're doing. And then you're dumb enough to text and ask and they don't want to tell you, right? I mean, my daughter's in Tampa. I love my daughter. I miss her terribly. And I will always love my daughter. But the reality is our relationship is much, much, much different now because guess what? I hardly see her. I mean, it's January the 26th. Can you believe it's January 26th? I mean, we're already a month into 2022. 
We're only about 70 days away from Easter, people. We get, we get done with Christmas Eve and I tell my staff, 100 days to Christmas or Easter, right? We got to focus, right? January 26th, my daughter says to me, I'll be home. I'll be home on my birthday, the 12th of February. That's 17 more days. And then she says, but I got to leave the next day because I got to come back to work. So I'm going to wait 17 days for a 24-hour visit. Now, do you think our relationship's changed? I used to see her every single day, every single night. It changes. So can you be a Christian and not come to a service in a building? Of course. But can you be a Christian if you don't stay connected to Jesus? No. And I will tell you this. Nobody, and there are smarter people than me and you and everybody online, smarter people than us have tried to figure out how to get rid of the modern church model. For years, we've been trying to get rid of the church in a building because we are supposed to meet in homes, right? They met in homes because they didn't have a building. Jeez Louise, it's not complicated, right? So we developed a building where people could come and gather, right? And here's what we know. When people continue to gather consistently, they stay connected to who? Jesus more consistently. Somebody asked me Friday night at supper, and I asked my staff, some of my staff this today, what's the greatest challenge facing our church in 2022? And I thought we were there to have a fun night, and that sort of ticked me off. But the longer the night went, the more I thought about it. And I recognized to me that the greatest challenge we have in our churches today is what are we going to do with the people that are no longer coming? Because at some point in time, being disconnected remains disconnected. It's just a, it's just a natural phenomenon, right? It takes a lot of work. And I realize it's a broad brush and it doesn't apply to all of you online or all of you that stay home at times and watch online. But I know this. There's, there's, there's so much historical evidence. The closer somebody stays to the body of Christ, the closer you have, a, the better chance you have to stand close to Jesus. Because here's the formula. If you abide in Jesus, you produce fruit, which allows you to be pruned so that God can get more fruit. But if you don't abide in Jesus, you don't produce fruit and you get what? Those are biblical formulas. So man, challenges for me and you, man, we need to stay focused and stay connected to Jesus. Let me read a couple of scriptures. John 12, 44 through 46. Jesus cried out, when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me and sees the one who sent me, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should what? Stay in darkness. Man, believing in Jesus and staying connected to Jesus is our path out of the darkness. We look at the world and we talk about it getting darker. There's only one way out of darkness and that's to follow the what? You got to follow the light. And the light of the world is Jesus. But it's also us. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Because we're a city set on a hill. We're a light that doesn't need to be put under a bushel basket. Which means that for some, listen, for people to follow the light of the world, Jesus, they have to follow who? You and me. The light of the world. They've got to follow us because without it, they remain in darkness. Stop telling people about their darkness and tell them about the light. The gospel invitation is at your place to start casting 
casting judgment on their behavior. God's already cast the judgment on their behavior. They don't need you to describe how dark their dark is, right? Like, I don't like caves. Our senior pastor, lead pastor, loves caves. He's just weird, okay? But I went to a cave once when I took when I took a bunch of high schoolers on a wilderness week of camp and we spent the night in the camp. And you know what everybody in the cave talked about that night? How dark it was. That's all you heard was everybody. Oh my gosh, it's so dark in here. It's so dark. I can feel it. You know, like that's what they did all night long, right? They just had nothing else to talk about, but their darkness. And you know what? It got irritating. It got so irritating that eventually we went, we can't stay in here any longer. And we made our way outside and guess what? It was still dark outside. <coughs> Listen, your job isn't to describe people's darkness and the depth of their, of their, of their sickness and their disease and their sin. Your job is to show them the light. How about first John two eighteen? John says this, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you listen, if it was the last hour when John wrote this, what time do you think it is now? It's closer to the last hour today than it was when John wrote it. So he says, man, people today, it's closer to the last hour now than ever before. And as you've heard, the Antichrist, the one who does not believe in Jesus, the one who's the anti-Jesus is coming. Even now, many of those people are already here. He says, and if there was a bunch back then, how many more do you think exist today? There's a bunch of antichrists. He says, this is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us. They went out from us and they didn't really belong to us. Listen to this. For if they had belonged to us, if they'd have belonged to us, if they'd have been a part of us, if they'd have been a part of Jesus, they would have what? Remained with us. Listen, at some level, you can tell me all you want that you don't have to come to church to be a Christian. But I will tell you this, that if you're a part of Jesus, you'll be a part of this. It's how we know. I mean, there's a powerful thing that happens when we gather in community. And listen, I get it. It's convenient. It's absolutely convenient to not have to spend $100 and to buy a parking pass And then to spend money at the concession stand to go watch my football team, the Chicago Bears, play in person. It's a lot easier to stay at home and watch it on my 65-inch TV. I can pause it. I can go to the bathroom. I can take a phone call. I can eat chips and dip. I can kick the dog, yell at my kids. I can do whatever I want to do, right? I can do any of that, right? But I'm telling you what, there is nothing like being there in person. You want to feel connected to what that group of people loves and believes in? Go and park before the actual game in a parking lot and tailgate and talk to Bears fans and shoulder bump and high five and fist bump and share a broad. You want to feel like that group? Go to the game. I can say in Ormond Beach in my home, I'm a Bears fan, but everybody in the house looks at me like I'm a moron. And the reality is if I was a Bears fan, I would be there with who? The Bears fans. Right? It's the same way with being in church. Because the formula is pretty simple. If you abide in Jesus, there's fruit which gets pruned, which makes you more fruitful. If you don't abide in Jesus, there's less, there's no fruit, and you get cut off. And first John says, listen, remaining with us is a big deal. It's a big deal. Now, let's go to the third formula. 
He says, if you're, if my word abides in you, right? The word has to abide in me, which means I abide in Jesus, which gives me fruit, which allows me to be pruned, which creates more fruit, which gives God glory. And it's evidence of my discipleship. On the other hand, if the word doesn't abide in me, then Jesus doesn't abide in me. There's no fruit and I get what? Let's read the verses, verse seven and eight. If you remain in me and my what? Come on, everybody say that word online and in here, everybody, if my what? If my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it'll be given to you. This, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my what? Listen, if there's anything our world needs today is evidence of discipleship from those who claim Jesus as their savior. If I've seen one TikTok video of a person telling me how their faith no longer exists and they're giving me story after story after story of some terrible church experience they've had. If I've heard one of those, I've seen a thousand of those on TikTok. And you want to know what? I'm sick of them. I'm sick of them. Because unfortunately for most of those people, those wounds are true. So here's the formula. If my word, Jesus says, abides in you, then that means you abide in Jesus. Which means you'll give fruit, which allows the vine dresser, God, to prune you, which gets more fruit. And that reveals God's glory. And that shows the world you're a disciple of Jesus. Can you see where we're failing? I mean, Satan's so smart, is he? Man, he's so smart. Like, he's so stinking wicked. He knows the power of God's word. I wonder if we do. Listen, God's word is the most powerful thing on the planet. Right? The Bible says in Hebrews 4.12 that God's word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even the division of, of soul and spirit. Right? To bone and marrow. Right? Do you know what marrow represents in a bone? It represents one thing. What? Life. If there's no marrow in a bone, guess what the bone has? It has what? Death. A bone without marrow is dead. So here's what Jesus says. The word of God is able to separate you from life and what? Death. And yet we live in a world today where people constantly, constantly in relationship to Jesus, do not do not put the Word of God in their lives. I mean, I have a Bible app, a version Bible app, right? And on my home screen, I set it to where I would get reminded about the verse of the day. Just the verse of the day. It's right here in the middle of my phone. Like, I divided my app so it would be the biggest thing on the front of my phone. You would think that I'd have a streak of 14,000 days in a row of looking at it. I'm going to tell you what my streak is right now. Two. So three days ago, I forgot. I didn't. And I was on my phone. I saw the verse and I didn't even read it. I know you're thinking, why is he preaching then? I get it, right? Like, I get it. Right? I get it, right? But listen to the formula. 
Word abide in me, abide in Jesus, fruit prune, more fruit, God's glory, discipleship evidence. Man, our world needs to know that you're a disciple of Jesus. Because if there's no word in you, then there's no Jesus in you, which means there's no fruit from you, which means God's cut you off. Listen to these verses. For John chapter 5, 36. I've got the testimony here, Jesus said, that's weightier than that of John. For the very work that the Father's given me to finish and which I am doing, that testifies that the Father has sent me, right? It's the work that testifies that God has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe in the one sent. Listen, how many of you here and how many of you online believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let me hear you say, here's what he said. Then God's word needs to dwell in you. It needs to make its home in you. And I can tell you this, you can't call your house a home until you actually live in it. It's the same way with God's word. You can't say the word of God dwells in your life unless it actually lives there. Right? How about this, this verse in uh, John 14? On that day, Jesus said, you're going to realize that I am in my Father and you are in me. That's how we're connected to God. And I am in you. Whoever, listen to this, whoever has my commands, my word, my teaching and obeys them, he is the one who what? Come on. He's the one who what? Loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. How about this passage in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32? He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my what? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You'll know the truth and the truth will what? I can read a bunch of other verses too. I have no idea what that is. Everybody calm. Everything's fine, right? I can read a bunch of other verses that tell you the same thing. But here's what they're all going to say. A relationship with Jesus is 100% dependent upon your relationship to the Word of God. So you can tell me, hey, I can be a Christian and I have to come to a church building and be a part of a service. 100%. But you can't be a Christian if you don't let the Word of God abide in you. It just won't happen. And listen... I will tell you this, we will, every preacher in 2022 will say it because we're, we're afraid that it'll put people off if we don't. I don't care how you get God's word in you. I don't care. I do know that there's a generation of people that would rather read it off of their phone than they would a real book. But I know there's a group of people that would rather read a book than an iPhone. Who cares? Just read it. Just read it. Because the formula is really simple. It's not man-made. God says this, if my word will abide in you, then I will abide in you. And fruit will come from that. And then that fruit-producing person will get pruned, right? Great system, God. But it is because God only wants more fruit because that means his glory gets displayed and people see evidence of our discipleship. Because if you don't let the word abide in you, then Jesus won't abide in you. No fruit will come from you and you get what? You get cut off. But that's not the last formula. There's one more. He says this, abide in love. Because that equals abiding in the word of God. Which equals abiding in Jesus. Which equals fruit. Which equals pruning. Which equals more fruit. Which equals God's glory. Which equals discipleship evidence. 
Which means, if there's no abiding in love, if Christians aren't staying in love, that means they're not staying in the Word, they're not staying in Jesus, they produce no fruit, and they get what? Cut off. Here's what it says, 1 John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, I have loved you. Now, what? Remain in my what? Remain in my love. Why? If you obey my commands... Right? If the word of God abides in you, he says this, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my what? Love. So abiding in the, listen to this, abiding in the word means you abide in God's love. Right? He says, just as I've obeyed the Father's commands you, and remain in his love, I've told you this so that my joy may be complete, he says. Or my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Verse 12. Greater love, or my command is this, Jesus said, love, here's the command, right? So what's he say? If you abide in the command, the word, then you abide in love. Everybody got that? Everybody say that with me. Abiding in word equals abide in. So he says, here's my word, right? And we're going to obey the word. He says, my word is this, love what? Come on, say it. Love who? each other. Listen, if you want to tell me that you love God's word and you're an obedient Christian, I'm going to ask you this. Do you love each other? Because abiding in the word of God equals loving each other. He says this, my commands this, love each other as I've loved you. You don't get to choose how to love other people. You get that, right? We don't get to choose. We have to love other people the way Jesus loved them. And what did Jesus do for them? Come on, it was only one word. It starts with the D. He what? He died for them. He gave up everything for them. Ask yourself. Ask yourself this. How willing are you, not physically, but how willing are you to surrender yourself to other people the way Jesus surrendered to everyone? Because, see, here's the thing. Abiding in the commandments equals abiding in love. Because he says this, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You're my friends. If you what? Do what I command. And what did he command? My command is this, that you love what? Each other. He said, I'm no longer going to call you a servant or a slave because a servant doesn't know his master's business. We know God's business. Amen. God came into the world to seek and save lost. He came so that everybody would repent and no one would perish. We know the father's business. We know all of it. For God so loved the... We know the business. Nobody's in secret. He said, instead, I've called you, friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that's going to last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. He reiterates, this is my command. This is my command that you love one another. How about this? Let's read a couple of verses. First John 3. We know, you and I, know that we've passed from death to life. We know we're no longer destined for hell. We're destined for heaven. He says this. We know that because we love who? Our brothers. Anyone who doesn't love, anyone who doesn't love remains where? You see, you can tell me all day long. You don't have to come to a building and worship to be a Christian. And I will tell you all day long, you're right. 
But you cannot be a Christian if you're not connected to Jesus. And you can't stay connected to Jesus if God's word isn't abiding in you. And you cannot abide in God's word if you're unwilling to love other people. Do you realize that sometimes there are nearly 2,000 human beings that come onto this campus and you get a chance to love them? Do you realize that there's anywhere from 150 to 300 kids that show up on our campus every weekend from birth all the way through high school? You get a chance to love them. That when the world opens up and even now we're sending out mission teams to go into the world to love people. There are all kinds of ministries that you can participate in here that you get to love people. Can you do it from the confines of your living room when you're chilling with Netflix? No. Can you do it when you go to work? 100%. But how long is it going to last for you if you stay disconnected from Jesus and stay disconnected from his word? How long will it take you to stop loving? If there's one thing that the pandemic and everything that's happened in our world the last two years has shown the church, and that is this, we are woefully short of people who love one another. It's become a, it's become a pandemic. He says this in first John two, nine, listen to this. I mean, I love John. Anyone who claims to be in the light, how many of you online and in here would claim to follow Jesus and, and follow the light of the world? Let me hear you say, okay, so this is for us because I put my amen in there too. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates his brother. Come on, say it. He's still what? Man, one of the dumbest things we ever did was try to convince people that God cared about you going to church. He was keeping attendance. No, he wasn't. He wasn't keeping attendance. He was wanting to know how you interact with other people. Do you know that there are Christian people online posting hate all the time? Hate. Hate, 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 right? It's, it's like the Grinch that stole Christmas. Looking at his outfits, right? Hate, 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 loathe. Hate, 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 right? I mean, just look at social media. I mean, that's Christian people talking and they're terrible. The Bible says if you bring that verse back up nine, would you, David? Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still what? And here's the thing. You're walking in darkness. Meanwhile, you got people following you. Which means they're following what? They're following darkness. You're not helping anybody. Right? All you're doing is making them with what Paul said or what Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees. You're just making them twice a disciple of hell as they were before. He says this, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother lives in the... That's the Greek word for abide. If you love your brother, you abide in the light. And there's nothing in him to make him stumble. Right? Listen... I say this all the time. I'm a Christian today because of eight people. I'm a Christian today because eight people who met me when I was 17 and a complete jerk did nothing but love me. They put up with my lying. They put up with me stealing. They put up with me wrecking their cars. They put up with me being, being a, a user. They put up with all of that. Not one time that they criticized my actions that were permeated in the dark. They just kept showing me to the light. And the whole time they showed me the light, the Holy Spirit was able to speak to me and speak to me and speak to me and speak to me. Because guess what? There was nothing in me that caused them to stumble because all they cared about was me meeting Jesus. You see, the reality is we stumble so much by what other people who aren't Christians do. It's because we're not living in light. We're busy living in darkness. And of course, when you're in the dark, everything can cause you to what? Stumble. I never hit my bed in the middle of the day when I'm going to the bathroom. But about four times a month, I hit it in the dark when I'm going. Because when you walk in the dark, everything causes you to stumble. When you're a Christian leading people out of darkness, nothing about their life should cause you to stumble. 
That's what he says. He goes on to say this in verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. We got lots of people trying to get people to come to churches and they're just leading dark people into more darkness because they're still living in darkness. Because listen to them talk. I hate this person. I can't stand this person. I hate this person. I hate the president. I hate this. I hate that. I hate this. That's not the biblical equation. That's human. It's not biblical. And nobody coming to Jesus following that. They may come to a church that believes in your political party, but they won't come to Jesus. Who cares? How about this one in 1 John 4? He says this, and I probably won't read all of this. Dear friends, he says, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see where they're from or whether they're from God because there's false prophets gone out of the world. I hate reading context because I just freak out and want to preach some more, right? He says this, right? This is how you recognize the spirit of God, right? This is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledged Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is what? From God, Okay. Every spirit that doesn't acknowledge Jesus is still from God. The spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already at work. So dear children, you who are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Everybody say, amen. He said they are from the world and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We're from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God, listen to this, the Christians who aren't, the non-Christians who aren't from God won't listen to you. So this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. He says, dear friends, let us what? Come on, let us what? Let us love one another for love comes from God. For everyone who loves has been born of God and knows him. Whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God's love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son into the world, his one and only son, that we might live through him. So this is love. Not that we love God, but that he, listen to this. This is love, not that God, that, not that we love God first, but he loved us first. You want to get people who are living in the dark to love Jesus? You have to love them what? You have to love them first. You've got to love them first. You see, we got it wrong. We think that because we have a great building, other churches think they have, they got a great building and they got great programs and they got great services. If we just get them here, everything will be fine. No. My mouth's dry. I couldn't get it out, right? Doesn't work that way. We got to love them in the darkness first. Because the way the equation works isn't that we love God first, but that he loves us first. So the equation for a non-believer is we love them first and then they can love God. Right? That's the order we have to do it. But you can't do it with hate speech. You can't do it by picking fights on social media. You can't do any of it. He says this, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Why? Because no one has seen God. But if we love one another, God, God, seriously, God lives in us. The create, I mean, I drove by the ocean the other day and I'm just overwhelmed at the magnitude of that stupid thing. How in the world that thing doesn't just jump the curb and just drown us all is beyond my comprehension. Right? It's an amazing thing. Go out west and see the mountains and I'm just blown away by it. The God of the universe who created everything in six days is the same God who lives in us if we love one another. Man, does our world not need to meet God? Of course he does. But you know how they... Meeting 
by us loving them. He says, no one's seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is what made perfect, complete in us. And we know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us the spirit. So we already know we belong to Jesus. So he says, if we have seen, we've seen and we testify that the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. So if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we rely on, we, so we know and rely on the love of God that he has for us. Because God's love. And whoever lives in love lives in God. And God lives in him. So abide in love. Because that is the representative of abiding in the word. Which means we abide in Jesus. Which means God gets fruit. Then he goes to work pruning us. Quit giving Satan credit during this season. Which means God gets more fruit. Which means God's glory gets displayed in our world. Which means we have evidence of discipleship. Now, check this out. Take all that out. Take all that out. And look at the equation. If we abide in love, people see evidence of our discipleship. In Matthew 5, 16, where we'll, where we'll be next week, Jesus said this. Let your good works so shine before men that they might glorify your Father in heaven. If there's anything our world's missing, it's Christians who do this so that they can see this and give God glory. Here's what 1 Corinthians nine twelve says. I don't have this very often happen to me. But when God gave me this verse a couple weeks ago, knowing my life and all the stuff that I'm dealing with or working through, this verse just became my life verse for this year. I know it did. You could, so Paul's in a, in a situation where he's explaining to the Corinthian church that because of his work for God, his work in the word, his work in preaching, that he had every right, as Timothy did, as everybody else does, to expect the church then to take care of him, right? This is the famous don't muzzle the ox always treading on the grain, right? You, if you do the work for God, God's people take care of you, right? Here's what he says. Paul says, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? He's, look what he says. We had the right to ask you to feed us, to take us in. He says, but we didn't use this right. And this is the verse, the part of the verse that became my life verse. He says, on the contrary... On the contrary, he says, we're going to put up with what? Come on, everybody say that word. He said, we're going to put up with anything. Why? So we don't hinder the what? The gospel. I don't want to be the king of wishful thinking. I don't want to get over her because I know I will. I don't want to pretend my ship's not sinking. I want to actually do something. I want to actually see our world except Jesus. Jesus makes it pretty simple. There's a formula. If you simply abide in my love for you, if you simply abide in my word for you, people will know that you're my disciple and they'll give God glory. Let's pray. There's a great work I know, God, you want to do in and through all of us. 
And I don't mean great in the sense that we'll speak before thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and have our face plastered across all the social media outlets there are. But great in the sense that we'll lead people to Jesus. I know there's a great work that you have all of us to do. And I know that for you to do the great work, there's got to be a great work done in us. Our world is living in darkness. And my prayer is for them to see the light. Which means I need to pray for us light bearers. Father, it's a challenge to love hateful people. It's a challenge to love stupid people. It's just a big challenge to deal with people who live in darkness. I pray that 1 Corinthians 9.12 will become a life verse for many of us. That we'll put up with anything. Nothing done in darkness will cause us to stumble because we live in the light, but we'll put up with anything just so the gospel won't be hindered. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.